What's up, Marlins fans? Jeremy Taché here. And before we get into this episode, as the Marlins are headed in the right direction, as we head into the homestand this weekend, I wanted to talk to you about our sponsor, Symbol. Now, I mentioned them on our previous couple of podcasts, but I want you guys to take a second to think about what Symbol really is. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to trade your sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. They've blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and profit off your teams without all the high fees and high losses of gambling. So you can use your sports knowledge to buy low and sell high and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Guys, I invested in the Marlins. They're higher right now than when I invested. So join me and 2,000 plus early adopters who have already started to invest in their favorite teams. All you got to do is visit www.symbol.app or visit the link in our description, symbol.app slash swings, to create a free account. And when you make your first deposit, if you use that promo code swings, you will get an extra $10 deposit bonus to go ahead and buy a share of Sim Marlins. So again, you can visit symbol.app and use the promo code SWINGS for a $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Start investing in your favorite teams today so that when they win, you win. Now let's get to the show. Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by Craig Mish. After the Marlins have improved their record this week, they were 2-6, and six, now 5-7 and seven after taking 3-4 of four from the Atlanta Braves. Craig, what good did you see from the Marlins in the Mets series and now here in this Braves series? Hey, Jeremy, it's good to be with you again and much better this week than last week as we're looking toward another homestand coming up here against the Giants and Baltimore Orioles. And last week, it couldn't have been any worse. I mean, they started off, boy, as as almost as poor as as any team could. And then since then, they've turned it around. No doubt. They they went to New York, were extremely competitive there. It seemed like uh, Jazz Chisholm's home run against Jacob deGrom sort of sparked everything over the past few days and, and then the and the offense really for the most part came alive almost everybody contributed in the series against Atlanta which is definitely a great sign over those four days I know that they lost the final game of the series but uh, all in all you win three out of four in Atlanta you got to be really happy uh, but but you know I, I thought for me and, and we'll talk more about the series and everything else but I, I think that the one thing that stuck out to me the most and doing this as long as I've been doing, I, I think that I'm able to pick up on sort of nuance and things that are said. The biggest comment that that resonated with me over, and I'm in, I'm, I mean, I'm not in on every single one of the Zoom media calls they do. I'm probably in 90% of them or 95%. I'll miss one uh, here and there and, you know, with family stuff going on. Uh, but sure. Uh, But yesterday, uh, meaning that if you're listening to this podcast on Friday or Saturday, we're going to go back to Thursday. After the game, Don Mattingly, the manager of the Marlins, volunteered some information that I thought was really interesting, which was that he said that he has been speaking to his hitting coordinator and bench coach James Rousen about how they can be better prepared at home to hit. I, I think I think that the I think that the Marlins uh, coaching staff and organization is sort of tired of the excuses that the park is too big and, and the wind and this and that. And I and I really appreciated that comment from Mattingly because it tells me that they're aware 
that for whatever reason, they go on the road over the last two years and start mashing. Why yep. is that? It can't just be truest field. That's not the case. They hit better in New York too. So, so what is it about Lone Depot, formerly Marlins Park, that has made things difficult? And, and it's interesting. I've, I've had some time now over the last couple of years to talk to players who have played specifically in the park and, and they all say the same thing. It's more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing. It gets mm-hmm. in your head. You try to do different things. So let's look for that over the next five days against the Giants and Orioles, because if the Marlins hit, then we know that some adjustments were made. And if they don't, I'm just sick and tired of hearing the excuses. This is the Giants and the Orioles. Yep. Over the next five days. Okay. There is no DeGrom coming in. There is no Cole. <laughs> And no Bieber. And that's not no indictment on those two teams. They're they're fine for what they have. And I'm not digging on them. But let let's see what the results are. And if they can come close at least to matching some of those offensive results in Atlanta and New York. Well, and it's so interesting you mentioned that because I remember having some conversations with, you know, all of us media are talking in the press box during and after games as the Marlins are struggling. And I remember having some conversations with people after the Marlins really struggled uh, during that home series, specifically against the Cardinals and talking about their approach and saying how I felt like, you know, the approach was still really solid. They're looking up the middle the other way. Brian Anderson's hitting 400 foot flyouts, you know, up the middle or the other way. And ultimately when they go, whether it's on the road to smaller ballparks or just that that's the approach that you need to maintain because it's the right way to go hit a baseball. Like you shouldn't be changing your approach at home. But I think a lot of the time, these guys are really trying to lift it out of that ballpark because of that mental aspect that you just mentioned. And so I am intrigued to see after the team just absolutely mashed on the road, what their approach will be at home. Are they still trying to drive the ball into the gap the way that they did against Atlanta? So much of their support came not via the home run, although Adam Duvall certainly uh, provided right. some, some extra power there, but so much of it really came from innings that started with doubles in the gap and then continuing from there. So I'm hoping that the Marlins continue with that type of approach as they play the Giants and Baltimore going forward. Yeah, one, one other thing that I wanted to mention on one of the, the calls that we did the other day, uh, Brian Anderson was on the call. And I, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, maybe outside of, of Rojas, but I, I think Anderson probably has the most played appearances at Marlins, excuse me, Lone Depot Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, slash the old Marlins park than anybody else on the club. He's been there arguably the longest outside of, of Rojas. And I don't know that Rojas is a great example because he's not the power hitter that Anderson is not to say Anderson Mm -hmm. is even a power hitter, but he has more potential to hit home runs. And for those of you who are listening while you're doing it, pull up your, your uh, web web browser and Google uh, Brian Anderson's home versus road splits. Take a look. So without looking before you do that, what are you thinking in your mind? Oh, he must be amazing on the road. And not that great at home. Let me tell you something. The numbers are exactly it's remarkable. the same. They're exactly the same. He has one more home run on the road at home. Now, um, I asked him two questions about that. And he did say, you know, maybe guys try to do too much at home. And then I tried to follow up with him a little bit by saying, hey, like, did you look at even your own numbers to see that? that you're the same guy home versus road. And he gave me like a zero answer is I don't know what to do. He said, I I don't know what happened. Maybe I asked a bad question, but I couldn't, I didn't get anything more, (laughs) but, but regardless of that, 
that's a good to me that's that's where you can start with like like mm-hmm. Brian Anderson who everyone wants to give a long-term contract extension to and and seems to be an up-and-coming player in baseball potential future all-star gold glove award winner and guy that seems to be a, a potential cornerstone of a team has the same numbers at home that he does on the road yep. so I'm sure it's not going to stop people from seeing the, some Marlins hitters this weekend against San Francisco hit one in the air and then say, oh, if it was somewhere else, it would have gone out. Right. Naturally, they're going to say that. It's a really tired conversation at this point. If you've watched any games over the last couple of years and, and look, I, I understand you can point to Christian Yelich. It's a great example of a player that wasn't the hitter here, that he was in Milwaukee, but I would venture to say, everybody else was Stanton Ozuna JT I mean they're they're the same guys now on the teams they are so uh, we'll just have to see if if they're able to make that adjustments this weekend yeah now they do go up against the Giants and against Baltimore and before we do get to to preview those games and talk about what we expect to see there I do want to talk about you know we, we we've done the positive stuff they've won you know, three out of four against Atlanta, a really great series bouncing back after, you know, being swept by Atlanta in the playoffs and the positivity that comes with that. But there are a couple of things that could improve for the Marlins. Namely, the catcher position has been sort of volatile so far this season. And also that bullpen has been clearly up and down for the Marlins. I mean, three blown saves at this point. So Craig, your thoughts on the catcher position and what can be done in that Marlins bullpen? Yeah, when you assess the club now, the, the first thing and easiest thing to do is to look at the offseason and say, okay, general manager Kim Eng, who did you bring in? Where Where is the club succeeding and where where are they failing? I mean, very clearly at this point, Adam Duvall looks pretty good. Adam Duvall yep. looks like a good signing and for this year, I mean, and, and looks like to me someone that I've said many times before, he's going to get hot, he's going to carry the team for a bit. You'll probably see it at home. You'll probably see it at Lone Depot Park too. Uh, yep. No issue with that. I, I think he's he's been almost exactly who I thought he would be. And if they play him every day, I think he's going to hit a lot of home runs. They have this crazy rotation where like somebody has to sit. It's just, it's not optimal. I know they think it is, but it really is not for any of the players. You ask them, would they rather be sitting or playing every day? The yeah. answer is playing. It, it's, it's a situation that... They, they basically have used as an excuse to get the guys extra playing time this year. You will never see this again in Miami. You, you will no. never see four starting players rotating again, but the hand has been forced. And so uh, that's where we're at. Uh, so Duvall has been a great addition. Uh, even though Dylan Floro <laughs> I, you know, yeah. completely gave it up after I he said that he was amazing. <laughs> Uh, I, I still have a lot of confidence in him more as a seventh inning, eighth inning guy. I, I just think he's pitched a lot over the last week or so. And remember he missed the first two or three weeks of spring training too. So I think that that was a positive move as well. So I, I think that if you're keeping a scorecard, at least for the first two weeks, and if you do that sort of thing to me, those are two pretty big positives. I think that those were good moves. And, and John Curtis looks like he could be okay too. And I just haven't seen really enough uh, to make a judgment there. I'm going to need some more time on that. Uh, so the reality of, of where sort of the, um, the failure kicks in is at catcher. And I'm trying to stay away from, you know, beating down Jorge Alfaro like day after day, like everybody else is. Cause I just don't think it does anybody any good. Everyone's watching the same games. Everyone's seeing him strike out every time he's up. Everyone sees him, you know, past balls. We, we all see it. We all know what mm-hmm. it is. And, 
and, and Miami really uh, and and Kim and the organization didn't didn't do a, do a good job having a backup plan. I mean, their backup plan is Sandy Leone, who I think they're going to have to go to pretty soon at some point. And, and Jorge, for all the great things that they said that he did in the offseason and he stayed in Miami and all those wonderful anecdotes, sometimes they create a nice story and, and sometimes they don't work out. And, and this one doesn't look good, at least for the time being. So uh, that was a failure. They, they did not, uh, even though they attempted, they did not really have a great plan behind uh, Jorge. Chad Wallach is a solid backup to me. And I, and I think could stick around, but, but they, they're yeah. going to have to address that. And I, I, it may be too late this year. You know, the other thing too, is that everyone says, and by the way, they have not contacted Luke Croy at all, but wild to me. What, what everyone says is that just go get a catcher right now. And during the season, it is the hardest position to get. Absolutely. The catcher has not caught the players. The, uh, Jorge and, and Chad have caught these pitchers for almost two months since spring training began hypothetically they know the pitchers they know what they're going to do the strengths the weaknesses it's a, it's really tough to just grab a catcher mid-season and say oh learn all the guys real quick and and and, and go ahead and do it I was listening to JP and CB on the radio the other day when I was driving back from something and, and he basically took full accountability for Mark Burley's season I was shocked to hear like Burley huh. got off to a bad year one year and JP said it was all on him because he chose to go play in the world baseball classic came back, hadn't huh. caught Burley at all. The season opened up and Burley was a, was a disaster for a few weeks. Then, then it yeah. caught on. So if that's a catcher in J.P. Arancibia, who I do respect, I mean, you can imagine. Who, who are they going to bring in right now that's going to know everyone and mash and catch well? It's, it's, it's tough. They're going to have to do it, but don't. I would not expect some miracle like a 1998 Mike Piazza deal to, to come about for the Mets right. where they got him and he went on to the hall of fame. I, I, I just don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, and then, uh, and then the bullpen is, is concerning, but I mean, the Braves bullpen couldn't get anybody out. There are bullpens around the league blowing saves all over the place. They tried. Uh, yeah. Did they not really spend a lot of the, yeah, of course, but you know, low end teams that don't spend money, don't really spend on the bullpen. Bass does not look good early, but he, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that's going to throw stones at bullpen construction because I know how difficult it is. I think I'm probably now on the fifth podcast in a row where I'll remind people <laughs> that the Phillies payroll was $200 million last year and they blew 21 saves in a 60-inning in season. Games. Crazy. So, you know, like the A's, the A's signed Trevor Rosenthal to a one-year $10 million deal. He's out for three months. Uh, people wanted the Marlins to sign Soria on Arizona. Who knows how long that guy's out? Archie Bradley's on the injured list. So uh, the the only thing that I would indict a little bit on the bullpen is what I was told. What I was told going into the season was that that uh, Campbell, the Rule Five, uh, Paul Campbell and Zach Pop were going to be parts of the team. But especially in Pop's case, no way would he be close to a high leverage situation, specifically because he has all the stuff, but he really hasn't thrown in the big league. So uh, attacking the hitters and knowing what the game plan is, there's so much for him that has to go into it that he's never experienced before because he's never played in the big league. So how do you do that? Well, if the score is seven, nothing on one side or the other, that's when you bring him in to say, okay, here's how we're going to attack that. I'm really stunned that he's been brought into two close games at this point. And when you're carrying two rule five draft picks, 
Uh, that's the deal. So I don't know how they solve that. Maybe all of a sudden Pop has a, uh, a phantom issue where he mm-hmm. goes on the injured list and we don't see him for five months and, and he's, and he's working itself and he's going to work himself out on an al- at the alternate site or in Jupiter or somewhere else. I, I don't know what the answer is, but that to me is the only thing that I'm a little s- surprised with because it's, I was kind of told that wasn't going to happen, that, that, that he wasn't going to really be in high leverage to begin. And here we are, he was in a three, nothing game and, and a, and a, and a lead. I think they had a one run leader or they were one behind I, I, whatever right. it was. So to me, Jeremy, that's what it is. I don't have a huge problem with the bullpen like everybody else does. Simber yeah. struggled. Yes, I get it. I understand. Like, yeah, I mean, some of those things are going to happen. But for me, the only thing right now that I think is valid from a fan's criticism is is catcher. Yeah, like you 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 benched your starting catcher last year in the postseason. <laughs> and, right. and now you're entering this year just magically assuming that things are, are going to be different. And, uh, and And you could do that, but you also should have a backup plan. And, right. and they really, at this point, do not have a backup plan. Yeah, well, and, and to sort of wrap all of those things together, you talk about Zach Pop needing to gain that big league experience. And what you just talked about also was the defense of catchers and chemistry and everything that comes with that. And Zach Pop has not only not thrown to Chad Wallach and Jorge Alfaro, Alfaro all that much, but when you have a couple of guys that are, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kindly say middle-of-the-road catchers defensively, and you're dealing with a new relief pitcher and all of the chemistry that comes in that you're throwing a guy into situations where it is relatively high leverage. That is a, you know, a recipe for disaster at some moments. And so that's why someone like that isn't going to thrive immediately, but you know, there is a reason, like you mentioned, you know, going out and getting a catcher that can come in and immediately, you know, make that sort of difference with a starting rotation. That's not something that's easy. People don't really understand that, that that's not a position where you can just plug somebody in and play right away. There's chemistry that needs to build between the pitchers and catchers. And there's a reason the Yadier Molina will probably be a Hall of Famer because of his defense, not because of his bat, because he got rotation after rotation after rotation that overachieved for a number of years. Because when you have a solid, you know, uh, mindful defensive catcher, that's going to help your team more than is recognizable to the common fan. Um, and so now you are in that position where, where the Marlins obviously are, are struggling behind the plate. I, I got to give credit to Chad Wallach, though, who has stepped up and played pretty well. And again, <laughs> hitting the ball better at the beginning part of this regular season, just sort of like he did it d- during the playoffs last year to a way yeah. where it's it's surprising for what you expect from Chad Wallach at the plate. So Chad, Chad, has, Chad has progressed. And, and you know what it is, is that it's so glaring because Alfaro has struggled. Yeah, that when Chad plays and and he goes over four with two strikeouts, then it's like even more magnified because mm-hmm. the day before we just saw that same result. But uh, Chad is a once a week player or or twice a week player, yeah. a catcher to a backup with of somebody else. I I, exactly. I think can happen. But the problem is, is that you know, and and I'm sorry to say, but I don't think Chad is a six day a week catcher or a five day no. a week catcher, and that's where um, this dynamic is. So look, maybe maybe, maybe Alfaro will, um, you know, will start to turn it around, but look, they, you know, that they're one through six or one through seven has been really solid. And uh, every team is going to have an issue. You can go around to every team in the big leagues, whether it's the Yankees or the Marlins or the Padres or the Tigers, like you're going to find, you're You're going to have a fan or you're going to have people like us that are going to say, what, you know, look at this (laughs) issue with this position Every team is going to have it, and I don't. I'm not going to get too worked up on it two weeks into the season. But you know, simply put, 
they're they're in any interview or any discussion with Kim Ng, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's nothing else to say except for, and they wouldn't admit it, but they would have to say, hey, you know, at the end of this, like, yeah, we we probably should have, right. uh, you know, had had a backup plan uh, for this, and and I'm sorry, and and I and I do, I would love to see what Sandra Leone can bring to the table. I don't know, sure, but but they probably should have uh, gone even a step further. Um, with that I don't know what the answer would have been and it's easy for me to say sitting here but yeah no backup plan they're rolling with what they got sure and at least the good news is is that you know we're having these nuanced conversations around general positivity for the Marlins right now right like we're talking about the couple of things that could be fixed but the offense looked great over the last week as a as a as a whole we saw Jazz Chisholm perform well. We saw the middle of the order perform well. Starling Marte hits his first home run. So the team looks like they're trending in the right direction. And now facing the Giants and the Orioles in this upcoming stretch. Craig, what do you expect this weekend against the Giants and as the Marlins take on the Orioles next week? Yeah, the Giants are playing well. So I, I, I think that with, with Gabe Kapler, you're going to see a lot of you know wild and wacky moves probably this week. Some platooning with some of their different players. Uh, Longoria surprisingly has got off to a really good start for them. He's hit a few home runs and, and so we'll see what he has uh, this weekend, but the giants are, are in a similar position to the Marlins where they're kind of in this. We don't know if we want to rebuild or do we rebuild type thing. Farhan Zaidi is their general manager. One of the sharpest guys in the game right now. Uh, and on top of it, that market in the giants is not one that you can just sit back and tank for years. You can't do it. They sell out those games. It's an extremely passionate fan base so, uh, yeah, they've gotten off to a good start for sure. So uh, with the Giants, the, you know, I, I looked at their starting pitching for the weekend. It is not really all that formidable. Alex Wood, I believe, is going to start Sunday, and this will be his first start of the season for them. And, and in the past, the Marlins have had issues with left-handed pitching, but, uh, you know, they, they can go very right-handed on Sunday if they choose. So uh, a, a series they probably should win two out of three would be, would yep. be an estimation. And then Baltimore comes into town. They, they really hammered Baltimore last year coming out of that COVID Orioles have no interest in uh, trying to win a World Series this year. They're more in a, a rebuild type mode uh, with Mike Elias as, as their general manager. And, and they have some nice bats. They do. They have some nice bats. They have, uh, you know, Trey Mancini has come back from cancer. It's been a wonderful mm. story. He's gotten off to a really good start. And, uh, and, and by the way, Baltimore's got a couple of pretty good catchers too. Pedro Severino's yeah. uh, and off to a nice start with them too. So it's interesting that that, that, that has happened look the Marlins should at least split with Baltimore too so like it's it's a five game series you you know in your heart you know if you're a fan you want them to win all five and say that they should but realistically speaking it's still early on in the season and you know maybe three and two would be good for them to I mean I know no one will be satisfied with that but that's the kind of the expectation is you know win win the Giants series and and hope maybe win the Baltimore series but I think anything less than three and two over the next five, it would be a, a failure uh, in, in five games or not a failure, but a disappointment, I would say. But nothing in April to me gets me really crazy, I don't think. Although, yeah. although, but, although if you listen last <laughs> week, you would think I did get a little crazy. So. Yeah, I think it's nice that we've all sort of been able to come back down to earth. I think everybody had such extreme opinions after the first week, mostly because we were all just so ready for baseball. Um, I think but, so. But, 
but now being in this space where, you know, the Marlins are five and seven, it would be wonderful if after this five game stretch, they could be at 500 could or be. game over going yeah. four and one or five and oh, but a three and two is, is a realistic way to look at it and say, okay, five games at home at Marlins park or Lone Depot park. Rather you got the giants who are playing well, despite what they're supposed to be. You got the Orioles go take advantage and win more than you lose over the That's next it. five. Yeah. And I'm excited to see those starting pitchers continue to throw for the Marlins. I mean, Sandy's continued to, you know, look so good to start the year and uh, excited to see Pablo sort of bounce back who, who, you know, look good, but not as sharp as his first couple starts against Atlanta. So, you know, excited to see uh, the way that these guys continue to hurl the ball. Yeah. The, the giant, the giants offense is, is going to leave a little to be desired there. They're, they really don't have a, you know, 40 home run guy or 30 yeah. home run guy. They're, you know, do a little platooning and mixing and matching. And and the Rays offense is probably better. Yeah, the Rays offense is better than the Giants, but you know that's that's the kind of team you're yes. you're seeing here a little bit, where you may not know a lot of their names, but you know, but I mean, you may know uh, Mike Yastrzemski's name because you recognize his last name. Yeah, you know, I want I, I wonder if um wonder if Carly Stremski's coming to the games this weekend. That's something I'm gonna have to keep an eye on to see. Well, that could uh, be a fun note for everybody. Carly Stremski. Yeah, he. I think he lives. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski, I think lives in in Palm Beach County, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah, I think he does. I'm pretty I sure. So that. yeah, that's, that's that would be an interesting anecdote for the weekend. Although you know, it's the the capacity still lowered, so sure, all those sure. things are in play. But yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to it this weekend. For me personally, I have uh, you know, super important family stuff Friday and Saturday. So. Mm-hmm. So Sunday, I'll be back at the ballpark, but I'll be watching Friday and Saturday from home, and then I'll be at the Orioles games too. Absolutely, and and I know I'll be back out there at Lone Depot Park as well. So Marlins fans, by the way, we did get all of your tweets in writing our uh, reviews and ranking us five stars. Guys, I, I'll i be honest, Craig, I have to send you some of them, some of the ones you may not have seen yet. I was really touched. Um, everybody, you were really kind. How many uh, were there? There, I mean, there was at least 15 or 20 of them. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, gonna cost, number, it's going to cost Symbol a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it was really so wonderful. And 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 you guys, it, it, it meant the world. It was a wonderful um, – it was wonderful to see the community we've built here around Swings and Mishes and, and the fact that we're in your homes once a week means something to me. I know it means something to you, Craig. And, um, you know, just really appreciative of all of you. I will get back to all of you individually through our Swings and Mishes account and make sure – uh, that we get you your hats as yep, desired. We'll yep. um, but thank you all for listening. Uh, enjoy this weekend of baseball against the Giants headed into next week against the Orioles. As always, you can listen to Swings and Mishes wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us across platforms on social media. Follow Craig at Craig Mish. Follow me at Jeremy Taché. And continue to follow Danny Alvarez and Oscar Prieto as well, as well as our new writer, David Fernandez. They're doing great work as well. Um, thank you all for listening to this episode of Swings and Mishes. 